What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Back in February, on episode 24, we did an episode called The Tracks of Yesteryear, a history lesson of former racetracks in the state of North Carolina to host NASCAR Grand National or Cup Series level racing. Last week, we got you caught up with eight more racetracks, tracks 11 through 18 that were on our list. In this episode, is the third and final part of that Tracks of Yesteryear series where we will take you to eight more racetracks in the state of North Carolina to have fallen by the wayside as former homes to NASCAR Grand National Racing. So buckle up. Episode 50 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast, The Tracks of Yesteryear, Part 3, is coming up on the other side of these messages. When you're eating breakfast, you don't think twice about hitting an electric line in your cereal. If you're looking through your dresser, does damaging a fiber optic line cross your mind? Of course not, because those utilities are buried underground. So don't think twice about calling 811 before digging. 811 is a free service, takes as little as five minutes, protects you and your neighborhood, and it's the law. So call or click 811 today. This safety message brought to you by North Carolina 811. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting, plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Track number 19 on our list is the one-mile paved paperclip called Raleigh Speedway, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. First and foremost, we want to give a big thank you to the website raleighspeedway.org for helping us out with so much information on this former racetrack. When we say this racetrack was a paperclip, we're not kidding. If you Google image search Raleigh Speedway, it looks like a bigger version of Martinsville Speedway. Opened in 1952, the track was originally known as Southland Speedway, and before it played host to seven NASCAR Grand National Series races, its first big race was a AAA IndyCar race held on July 4th, 1952, with Troy Rutman, who would go on to race in the NASCAR and Formula One series, earning the victory at Raleigh. In 1953, Raleigh Speedway would become a NASCAR-sanctioned track and run its first NASCAR Grand National race. The date was Saturday, May the 30th, 1953, when 49 cars would enter what was called the Raleigh 300. Fonty Flock would earn a $3,500 payday for the victory in the race, which at the time was a pretty huge winner's pay when most of these races were paying only a thousand bucks to win. That initial race took over four hours to run, according to Racing Reference. Herb Thomas won the next year's race, the Raleigh 250 in 1954, and then won again in 1955 in a race called 100 Miles at Raleigh. Fonty Flock won a 100-mile race later on in 1955 at Raleigh Speedway. Fireball Roberts and Paul Goldsmith would win the final three races, with Fireball getting the last victory on July the 4th of 1958. 
Each race at the Raleigh Speedway for the NASCAR Grand National Series brought in great car counts for the time. The highest was 55 cars in that last race in 1958. The average car count for a NASCAR race at Raleigh was just over about 41 cars. Over its short life, Raleigh Speedway had ownership changes aplenty. Four different organizations had ownership of the Speedway in just seven seasons of operation. After the 1958 race, the track sat dormant until the property was sold and the track was demolished in 1967. But if you're ever near the state capitol and you're on the I-440 Beltline around Raleigh between Wake Forest Road and Atlantic Avenue, then you yourself have driven over a piece of racing history from the 1950s and Raleigh Speedway. The 20th track on our list holds the honor of being the only track on here to host NASCAR Cup Series racing in the 21st century, Rockingham Speedway in Rockingham, North Carolina. It's also been known as North Carolina Motor Speedway or simply as The Rock. This 1.017 mile speedway played host to 78 NASCAR Cup Series Grand National races from 1965 up through 2004. Rockingham also hosted 42 races for the NASCAR Xfinity Series from 1982 to 2004. The track was built with some unique ownership. Bill Land was the man who owned the property the track would sit on, Harold Brasington, who had been involved with building Darlington Raceway, local lawyer Elsie Webb assembled a group of financial backers and also local shares of the track were sold for a dollar apiece. The first NASCAR race held at The Rock was on Sunday, October 31st, 1965. 500-lap race for 43 drivers, and only one missed the cut. Junior Johnson, Curtis Turner, and Marvin Panch all swapped the lead early. Bobby Isaac even took a few turns out front along with Kel Yarborough. But with 27 laps left in the 500-mile marathon, Curtis Turner would take the lead from Yarborough and hold on for the win that paid $13,090 to the legend himself, Curtis Turner. From 1966 to 2003, Rockingham Speedway got to host two races each year for NASCAR's top series. Winners through the years included names like Richard Petty, Bobby and Donnie Allison, Bobby Isaac, David Pearson, Kale Yarborough, Darrell Waltrip, and so many more. In 1999, Rockingham Speedway was acquired by International Speedway Corporation. That's the big corporation that the France company, the France family basically uses to control the NASCAR tracks, or at least most of them. In 2004, its fall race was given to Auto Club Speedway in California. Part of the track's downfall and eventual closure was blamed by some on poor placement on NASCAR's cup schedule. February and November race dates made for cold conditions that even diehard fans found unworthy of sitting in for hours on end. Pair that with a lawsuit brought by Francis Furco against NASCAR, alleging that the sanctioning body had implied Texas Motor Speedway would get a second race on the schedule. It claimed a violation of antitrust laws by NASCAR preventing Speedway Motorsports Incorporated from obtaining the second cup race. The case was settled in 2004. One of the conditions was that ISC would sell Rockingham Speedway to Bruton Smith's Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, effectively using the purchase of one racetrack in North Carolina 
to give the date to another, just like Smith had done with his purchase of North Wilkesboro Speedway back in the 90s. Rockingham Speedway changed ownership again in 07, ran two truck series races in 2012 and 2013, along with UARA late model races and Pro Cup events, but has once again been sitting idle for some time. At the time of this recording, the Solid Rock Carriers Cars Tour has scheduled their 2021 season opener for late model stock cars to be ran at the Rockingham Speedway. The track remains another haunting reminder of a time gone by of multiple tracks on NASCAR's top schedule in the state of North Carolina. Track number 21 on our list had one of the shortest histories with NASCAR of any track previously mentioned, Salisbury Speedway in Salisbury, North Carolina. The track was a .625 mile dirt track that hosted one NASCAR Grand National Series race. It was held back on Sunday, October the 5th of 1958 and was the fourth to last race of the season. Gober Sosebe qualified on the pole with an average speed of 72.162 miles per hour in a 57 Chevrolet. Lee Petty would go on to win the 160 lap feature over Buck Baker, Cotton Owens, and the rest of a 30 car field for an $800 winner's purse. Salisbury Speedway also hosted a NASCAR convertible series race earlier in 1958, back on September the 14th. Bob Wellborn took home the win in his Julian Petty-owned 57 Chevrolet over Larry Frank, Richard Petty, Tiny Lund, and the rest of the 26-car field. Unfortunately, in my research, I was unable to find any information on who built or owned the track, why it closed or hosted so few races, but thanks at least to RacingReference.com, it still has a small page in NASCAR's history to learn about in modern times. Track number 22 on our list is listed with two different names, depending on who you ask. Racing Reference has it listed as Southern States Fairgrounds in Charlotte, North Carolina. But other websites have it listed as simply the Charlotte Fairgrounds. Whichever name fits, it was a half-mile dirt track located near the intersection of Sugar Creek Road and Tryon Street in the Queen City of Charlotte. Southern States popped up on the NASCAR Grand National schedule for the first time on August the 13th of 1954. Lee Petty won the first race in a 54 Chrysler over a 22-car field. Car counts at Southern States usually ran between 15 cars back in August of 55 in the race that Jim Paschal won, all the way up to a 35-car field in July of 1959, where Jack Smith won the main event. From 1956 to 1959, Southern States also hosted five races for NASCAR's convertible series, with names like Jimmy Massey, Lee Petty, Ken Rush, Joe Weatherly, and Ned Jarrett as former race winners. In the Grand National ranks, Lee Petty took home three wins in the eight years that races were held at Southern States. Only one driver won multiple races, other than Lee Petty. That driver was Jack Smith. Its final NASCAR Grand National race was held on Sunday, November the 6th of 1960, with Joe Weatherly leading the final 40 laps of a 200-lap feature over Rex White and Lee Petty to pocket an $800 winner's purse. The Southern States Fairgrounds never hosted another NASCAR race after 1960, and we were unfortunately unable to find any reason for that.
Track 23 on our list wouldn't have been too far a ride from the previously mentioned Southern States Fairgrounds. This racetrack was located in nearby Monroe, North Carolina, and was called Starlight Speedway. It was a half-mile dirt track located just off Old Charlotte Highway. It popped up on the NASCAR Grand National schedule only one time in its history. On Friday, May the 13th of 1966, Starlight Speedway held what was called the Independent 250 for the top drivers of NASCAR. 25 cars would make the call for the only event of its kind to be held at the Speedway. James Hilton and his Econo Wash 65 Dodge earned the pole with an average speed of 65.099 miles per hour. Elmo Langley, John Sears, and Hilton would swap the lead in the first 72 laps, but from lap 73 on to the finish, on lap 250, it was Daryl Derringer's 64 Ford that would pace the field, winning by a margin of eight laps to take home the checkered flag and $1,000. Clyde Lynn, Wendell Scott, Neil Castles, and Henley Gray rounded out the top five on that afternoon. The race only saw seven of the 25 cars finish the race. Cars fell out for all kinds of reasons, from crashing to overheating, oil pressure, tie rods, braking, you name it. According to our research, Starlight Speedway continued hosting racing up until about the late 1970s when racing ceased at the Speedway. The track surface has long since been built over, but for one night in 1966, Little Starlight Speedway in Monroe got to host some of the best that stock car racing had to offer at the time. Track number 24 on our list takes us into petty country, Randleman, North Carolina's Tar Heel Speedway. A quarter mile paved oval that played host to three NASCAR Grand National races, one in 1962 and two in 1963. Multiple sources confirmed that Tar Heel Speedway opened for racing back in 1957. And according to Speedway and RoadRaceHistory.com, it was built by Harold Brasington, the founder of Darlington Raceway. Despite being considered modern for its time, the track struggled for success and closed after only two or three seasons. In 1962, the track reopened just in time to host the Turkey Day 200 for the NASCAR Grand National Series on Thursday, November 22nd. In a race that took just over an hour to run, Jim Paschal, who was driving a Petty Enterprises prepared 62 Plymouth, took home a $575 win over Joe Weatherly, Tommy Irwin, David Pearson, and Maurice Petty, the longtime engine builder for Petty Enterprises. Pascal would win the next NASCAR Grand National Series race at Tar Heel Speedway on May the 5th of 1963 over a small field of only 15 cars. The final Grand National race at Tar Heel Speedway would be on October the 5th of 1963. This time it was Richard Petty who would claim the win over Joe Weatherly and Bob Wellborn. In all three Grand National races held at Tar Heel Speedway, all three were won by cars owned and prepared by Petty Enterprises. It is believed that the track may have remained operational through 1967, but it's really hard to confirm. In 1975, Tar Heel Speedway was reopened for a brief time and rebranded as King's Country Motor Speedway, paying homage to nearby hero, the King Richard Petty. However, this effort only lasted a few weeks 
and the track soon would close for good. The 25th track on our list takes us to High Point, North Carolina and the Tri-City Speedway. Hoster of two NASCAR Grand National Series races in 1953 and 1954, respectively. Tri-City was opened for racing back in 1947. It was a half-mile dirt track built by brothers Bill and Bob Blair. Its first of two NASCAR Grand National races was on Friday, June the 26th of 1953 for a 200-lap feature that paid 1000 bucks to win. 23 drivers would make the call for that race with Herb Thomas and his fabulous Hudson Hornet taking the pole with an average speed of 66.152 miles per hour. Thomas went on to earn the win, though the record book doesn't say what his margin of victory was. The second Grand National race took place on Sunday, November the 7th of 1954. Herb Thomas qualified on the pole but wouldn't get to lead a single lap. Dick Rathman led the first six circuits before giving way to Lee Petty, who would lead the 194 laps remaining and take the victory over Buck Baker, Herb Thomas, Gober Sosaby, and Jimmy Lou Allen. The last stock car races to be ran at Tri-City were in 1957. This track, though, thankfully, has a historic marker located about an eighth of a mile from the original site where people can still learn about their former speedway. The 26th and final racetrack on our list of former tracks in the state of North Carolina to host NASCAR Grand National Cup Series racing that are no longer in service takes us to Wilson Speedway in Wilson, North Carolina. From 1951 to 1960, Wilson hosted 12 NASCAR Grand National races and five NASCAR Convertible Series races on its half-mile dirt track surface. Fonty Flock won the first race in 1951 over a 17-car field and a 51 Oldsmobile. Winners over the decade would include names like Herb Thomas, Buck Baker, Ralph Moody, Lee Petty, Junior Johnson, and Joe Weatherly. Car counts at Wilson fluctuated from a low of 16 cars back in 1954 to a high of 32 cars in 1956. In addition to his win in the final Grand National race at Wilson in 1960, Joe Weatherly also scored a convertible series win at the track in 1957. Curtis Turner earned two convertible wins at Wilson, along with Bob Wellborn and Billy Myers. We're not sure if racing continued at Wilson after that final NASCAR race in 1960, but we did find a pretty interesting tidbit from a promotional flyer from the NASCAR Auto Racing Illustrated Magazine and program advertising a 100-mile race at Wilson Speedway. The program reads as follows. Warning to all spectators and patrons, stock car races are thrilling, dangerous, and spectacular. We have taken all available precautions for your safety. The management assumes no liability for injuries to your body or property arising from any accident occurring during these races. You attend these racing events at your own risk. Signed, the management. That wasn't on a ticket, and that wasn't on a waiver. That was on the program, or not the program, but the poster that they were probably hanging up around town to try to get people to come to the races. Not that this is much different than the waiver you and I signed to go in the pits at any racetrack today, but that first sentence just makes the race fan and me smile just a little bit wider. Stock car races are thrilling, 
dangerous, and spectacular. And that remains the same to this day for me. And with that, our Tracks of Yesteryear series has come to a close. Special thanks is due to all the aforementioned websites that helped us track down the history of some of these former speedways. It may seem a little repetitive to go down this list, seeing has all, how all 26 tracks suffered the same sort of fate of being closed, but to me, it just serves as a reminder of the glory days, and that alone can make any race fan smile. Thank you for listening along to the Half Price Concessions Podcast. My name is Tyler Williams, and I hope that you've enjoyed these episodes. Take care. God bless. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and be well. <laughs>